Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into, into exile. The word of the Lord. We've come to consider those words. Um, this is the last in the series that I've been doing in the book of Jeremiah. If you've been here a while, oh, if, you, if it's your first time here today, welcome, by the way. Uh, there's one or two faces that I think it's your first time, so that's great. Um, this is the last in the series we're going to do in the book of Jeremiah. Um, if you remember, all the way back to just before Christmas, um, I, I sort of left you with that image of uh, a defeated nation, defeated people um, gathered um, just outside Jerusalem in a little town there, and the people are chained together, and they're being divided. Some of them are going off into exile in Babylon, the nation that's defeated them. Some of them are going to stay there and go work on the, on the land and produce crops and things. Some of them went into exile. Jeremiah himself stayed, okay? And, and chapter 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, is a letter from Jeremiah to the people who are in exile, okay? So someone's going to take this letter that he writes, explain to you that is at the beginning of the chapter. Someone's going to take this letter, they're going to take it all the way into Babylon to be read out to those who were exiled there. How do you think they're feeling? How, how do you think you would feel? Okay, imagine if, if your country had been defeated in war. Imagine your capital city had been burned to the ground and looted. And all, just everything of value has been taken. Imagine if, if your um, most respected people had been humiliated by this invading army. And imagine you've witnessed the horrors of war. 
Like we, we see bits and pieces, don't we, on our TV screens from Ukraine. But I, I, you know, the mainstream media protects us really from the worst of it. You know, if, if, some of the stuff that's on social media is way, way worse than you see on our TV screens. Imagine you've seen all that. How are you going to feel? Well, Psalm 137, which Wade read for us, gives us a really helpful insight into exactly how they felt. So they said, by the, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. When we, when we remembered Jerusalem, okay, we're sitting by the rivers in Babylon, we, we're thinking about, we're remembering what life was like. In the good old days, before we were invaded, and we wept. And our captors tormented us, demanding that we sing songs of joy. Come on, give us a song. You know, you Israelites, you're good at singing. Sing us a nice, one of your cheerful tunes, they said. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land, they say. And and verse 8, which is, I think, one of the (laughs) most difficult to read in the whole of Scripture, says this, Daughter Babylon, Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. This is what they're saying, you know. If, if we could just get revenge on you, if we could do to you what you've done to us, then we'd be happy. I'm not saying it's a good thing. That's how they felt. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. See what they're saying? And that's what the Babylonians did to them. Took their babies and smashed their heads against the rocks. Killed their infants. They're saying, you know, you deserve the same. That's how they're feeling. That's the reality of war. The reality of evil. You know what, in times of war, the evil that is innate to human beings bursts out, doesn't it? When, you know, we must never underestimate the human heart's capacity for evil, friends. You know, normally, our society's capacity for evil is, is contained, is bottled in by, by society, by culture. We have a police force, don't we? Thank God for them. You know, we, we have those people. But when, the, when all that collapses, the evil in people's hearts just spews forth. A heart that is unrescued and unredeemed by Christ is a terrible thing. So, question, what's Jeremiah going to say to these traumatised people? What advice is he going to give them about what to do? You've got a new life now in a new country that you hate. What should you do? This is Jeremiah's response to that question. Okay, so what could they do? Well, there's a few options. Uh, I'm going to give you four bad things they could have done, four bad options. First one is just to fit in. Now that, that's what the Babylonians wanted, okay? That was their strategy. So the Babylonians were a clever people. But they, they knew that, that if you oppress a people, they're, they're just going to fight. So their, their strategy was to integrate people, not to make them slaves, but, but instead to give these people good, good jobs, a nice home, a life, you know, we wanted to fit in. We wanted to become part of our society, become one of us. That's how the Babylonians did it. 
You can see a little picture of that in the book of Daniel. You know the story of Daniel? So um, uh, Daniel's name means Elohim, God. Elohim is my judge. That's what the word Daniel means, okay? But Daniel chapter 1 says, when, when, see, he was one of the exiles, you see. So when, when Daniel is taken to Babylon, they change his name. They change his name to, I have to look this up, Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects me. Bel is a Babylonian god, okay? You see what they're doing? They're, t- they're taking the, they're, they're trying to get the people to forget their heritage. Just fit in with us, you know? This, this, you've got a new life now. Worship our gods instead. Just fit in. Forget your old life. Assimilate with our society instead. Follow our ways. Go with the flow. Second option. Just hunker down. You know what I mean by that? So, uh, um, I'll give you an example. I was here in the week, and uh, it's been really wet, hasn't it, recently? I was just chatting to a family just outside the doors there. The rain started pouring down. We all came inside, had a cup of tea and a chat and a prayer. Um, and uh, we just sort of hunkered down for half an hour until the rain stopped. That's what it means, all right? You, you, you just take shelter for a bit until the bad thing stops. And then you go carry on with your life. Now, if you think your exile in Babylon is going to be very short, then hunkering down is a pretty, pretty good option, actually, you know? Just, you know, put your head down, you know, we'll just stick to ourselves, you know, it'll all soon be over. In Jeremiah's day, there were prophets that said exactly that would happen. So in the previous chapter, chapter 28, there's a guy called Hananiah. Hananiah said to the people, two years and we'll be back in Jerusalem. The Lord says, two years time, we're back in Jerusalem. Jeremiah said, no, that's not true. It's not true. God, in fact, verse 8, we read it just now, verse 8. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So, fit in, hunker down. Third option, rebel. You know, you could, you could start an underground guerrilla movement, couldn't you? Yeah, an armed resistance group. Fourth thing you could do is just despair. You just give up. There's no hope, there's no future, no plans, no ideas. We're just going to live out our days and die. There's four different options there that, they, that these exiles could have taken. Now, you may you think, okay, well, that's, so far this is all a bit obscure because we're talking about the history of a nation that was two and a half thousand years ago in a different place. Like, honestly, who cares? Okay, fair comment. But it matters because in the Bible, we are the exiles. We are the exiles. Um, Peter, his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, starts like this. To God's elect, God's people, exiles in the world. That's what we are. So, so... So it's, it's normal, it's normal for Christian people to be exiles. Wherever, wherever we are, it's normal to be exiles. You know, today in the UK, Christians are a minority. You know that, don't you? You feel that now in a way that people didn't feel it 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, some of the older ones remember when it didn't feel like quite you were, like, in the way that it does now, that you were an exile. 
There are some ethnic groups in the UK, like, you know, honestly, if you're Nigerian this morning, there's quite a few Christians in the Nigerian community, isn't there? If you're a Brit, if you're a white British person, there are not many Christians around. We're exiled in the UK. So what should we do? Should we just fit in? Well, it's pretty tempting, isn't it? For most of us, I think, just fit in. Just put your head down, go with the flow, don't question the narrative. <laughs> and perhaps you recognise that pressure in, in your office, in your factory, in your university. You know, just the pressure just to be the same as everybody else. Just fit in. The problem for us is, though, that God says, no, 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 you are set apart, you are to be holy, you're not just to fit in. You know? Um, parents, um, you know what, parents, if, if, if you... Uh, if you live your family life in such a way that you just fit in, your kids are going to see that. Your kids are going to see that. You're, if your family life is exactly the same as the family lives of all the other kids on the street, then they'll recognise that. They'll see that. And you know what happens? Each generation just becomes a little bit less different from the culture until at some point there is no difference. Can't just fit in. It's tempting to we eh? tempted to hunker down as well, isn't it? Perhaps some. Um, you know what? I've seen this in so many churches. <laughs> in the UK, from the 1960s onwards, I think this is what Christians did. Primarily, most churches, I think, is is just they were so afraid of the world outside. The answer was hunker down, disengage. You know, the outside out there is dark, scary. We don't understand how they think. They're all into this sexual revolution stuff. We don't get it. Hunker down. We'll have our have our own little Christian community. There we go. And we work, we'll, we'll try and minimise contact with the outside world. Because it's scary out there. We'll create our own alternative society. We'll hide away. The problem with that is that Jesus calls us to be salt and light. Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl, do you? You know, you put it on a stand. So that it gives light to the whole house, to everyone. The problem is, if you just hunker down and think... We'll just get through this. Within a generation or two, you just become irrelevant. If you don't connect with community, if you don't connect with how people out there think, and, and this is my job to equip the saints for works of service, all right? This is, this is what I do. I hope, I, 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 you know, I, I perhaps don't always do it as well as I want to, but I, I'm trying to, trying to help you to connect your faith with the culture that we live in today. If you don't do that, you just get disengaged from culture. And probably most of us know of churches that just are completely disengaged. And they will die out. You could rebel. Now you might think, well, I don't really fancy taking up arms against my neighbours. <laughs> A lot of people have, historically, though. You know, if you think about um, the zealots in Jesus' day, Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' disciples, they were like an armed terrorist group. You know that? Yeah, that's what they did. They tried to kill, just, they just stab Roman soldiers and then run off, you know. 
you, on a different level, you might think of the American model, the American right, the moral majority in the 70s and 80s, basically trying to force through conservative laws. You know, if the Christians all turn out and vote, we can change the, the laws of the nation. It kind of worked, but it left a very bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. You know what, I, I okay, so 20, oh, a long time ago now, I was at university, uh, 25 years ago, the Christian Union, and I, in fact, to be fair, it wasn't the Christian Union, it was a small group of us that were part of a Christian pro-life movement on campus. We managed to change Warwick Student Union policy on abortion from being pro-choice to neutral. Uh, and we did it by, um, uh, by uh, a, a, a leafleting campaign. There was no internet back then. Um, and, uh, and, and we basically got all the Christians to turn up at the student union for this vote. And nobody else was that bothered. So we managed to change the student union policy on abortion. We did exactly what the Americans had been doing in, in the 70s and 80s with the whole moral majority thing. And you know, you know what we achieved? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> because they instantly changed it back again when they managed to get 20,000 uh, normal students to come. And what it did, it just left a bit of taste in everybody's mouth. What, what we've done is try to use power to exert change. We try to force people to change their views and attitudes by using what little power we had as Christians. But friends, isn't that exactly the opposite of what Jesus did? Jesus didn't use power to change people. He used humility to change people. He used sacrifice to bring about change. We made a terrible mistake back then. There we go. Or despair. You know, some Christians just feel like giving up. We used to have influence, we used to have a uh, bit of respect, you know, that kind of stuff. And now they'll look at us, so we just give up on evangelism, give up on the gospel, go watch Netflix. <laughs> what was Jeremiah's message to these people that we can take hold of today? How do you live as an exile? Number one, right, if you've got your Bible there, chapter 29, verse 4. First of all, you remember that God has put us here. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You think, well, okay, hang on a minute, wasn't it the Babylonians that carried us off into exile? God says, no, 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 I carried you into exile. I put you here. Behind it all, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. It wasn't just the Babylonians who took them into exile, it was God who took them into exile. God who's, we believe, don't we, there is a God who's plans and purposes will not be thwarted. We believe in a sovereign God who orders the universe. Um, Rachel, could you just give me a hand, please? Thank you. And I want to just... 
I, I just want to say to you today, you know what? Whatever your situation is today, this is the place where God has put you. I don't mean here in Park Church, although please that's true as well. But whatever your situation, it is the place where God has put you. You are in the place where he wants you today. You are here for a reason, for a purpose. You, you, you live in Stoke-on-Trent today for a reason, for a purpose. Sometimes Christians get taunted by atheists, don't they? They say, well, what about the problem with suffering? You know, how, how, well, what about all the suffering in the world? You know what? They're the ones who have to contend with that problem. Because the, to them, how do they face suffering? All they can say is, well, the universe is cold, dark, and bleak and empty, and then you die. That's the best answer they've got. We can say, well, you know what? I don't understand everything I'm going through, but I know there is a God in heaven who orders everything, and therefore there is a purpose for what I'm going through. My, my hardship today has meaning. It has value. And I don't know what, all that, what that might mean in detail at this point, but I know there is a God who is in control. Realise God has put us here. Number two, oh, sorry. Number two, get on with your life. Good <laughs> verse five. Jeremiah says to them, look, you exiles in Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, get married, get your kids married, look forward to having grandchildren. In other words, settle in. You're here for the long haul. You're here for the long haul. For, Jeremiah's basically saying to them, look, forget the idea that two years and we're back in Jerusalem. Not going to happen. Forget it. Okay? Forget the idea that everything's going to suddenly be radically better. That one day we'll wake up and everything will be the way it was before. Everything will be happy again. No, no, no. no. Forget that. Settle in. You're in here for the long haul. I remember back in the 80s, some of you will remember this, um, there was, there was prophecy after prophecy of revival sweeping through the UK. You know, some of you were in those kind of prayer meetings. And, and the message was basically just hold on, hold on just a little bit longer and then it'll all be alright again. Wasn't true. Jeremiah here is saying the opposite. It's going to be a long time. In fact, he says it's going to be 70 years. Basically, you're all going to die in Babylon, you say. So get on with life. Don't wish this life away. Just get on with it. And, it, and it, when the world is a hard, scary place, it is tempting. You, you've probably heard people say, well, you know, I, I don't know that I want to have children. And I'm talking to the younger ones now, because this is in your social media feeds. I, I, don't, I don't think I want to bring children into this world. You know, because it's a hard, scary place. It's, you know, who wants to bring kids up here? Here, Jeremiah says the opposite. He says, increase in number there. Do not decrease. Increase. Think about that. Th these are people who've seen their children killed, murdered by the Babylonians. You, know, you might think bringing up kids in our culture is hard, not good. Think about these guys. <laughs> They've seen the Babylonians kill their children. And God says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to bring children into this world. Don't be afraid to have children. We're, we're the light of the world. Jesus is with us. We need more of us, not less. <laughs> Jeremiah said, don't, don't just fizzle out 
out of fear. No parents, the Lord will care for your children. The Lord will care for your children. Don't be afraid. Thirdly, make the world around you a better place. Look at verse 7. Quite famous words, perhaps. Um, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Um, that, that little phrase is just one word in Hebrew. It's the word shalom. You may have heard that word before. It's a well-known Hebrew word. Um, it, sometimes it's just translated peace, but well, really, it's, it, there's, no really, there's no one English word that can translate this word shalom. It, it means completeness and wholeness and, and, and welfare and safety and prosperity and, and fullness and harmony and joy the, 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 the good life if you like so God, God says through Jeremiah to these people seek seek the shalom of the place where I've called you to in fact here we go uh, there you go seek the shalom of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if, if Babylon has shalom, you also will have shalom. See what God is saying to them? These people who killed your children, who put you into captivity, seek their good. Seek their good. These ones who smash your baby's head against rocks, seek their good in every way. Bring blessing to your pagan neighbours. Even if they hate you, bring blessing to your pagan neighbours. Jesus said, didn't he? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. Well, how, how do you do that? How do you bring shalom to Stoke-on-Trent? Because I'll tell you what, it's not by hunkering down in our own little enclave. It's not going to work. It means engagement. How, you, how do you bless this city, the place where God has put you? How do you do that? It means engaging with the city. It means, it means working in the, in the council, in social services, or in the highways department, or in housing. It, you, it, it means working for the NHS. It means working for the police. It means setting up businesses that bring economic prosperity to the place where God has called you to. It means being the politest, humblest, kindest employee that your boss has. It means you're the kindest person on your factory floor. It means supporting local charities to help those who you can't help. It means being a good neighbour to people on your street so that, so that they know that you will be willing to help them at a moment's notice if you possibly can. It means loving your city. It means praying for your city. It means supporting your city. Where God has placed you for a reason. All that you see. All that is bringing shalom to your enemies. Let your light shine before others, Jesus said. Let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Question, what are you, what are you doing that brings good to the place where God has put you? What are you doing that brings good to this city? 
How are you serving your community today? And just, just, okay, let me be really clear. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's the gospel. Okay? I'm not saying, yeah, forget about this Jesus stuff, the death and resurrection and all, or, you know, just be a good person in the community. I'm not saying that. It's not either or, it's both and. Okay? We need to understand that. It's just, it's the really basic starting material before you can even get to sharing the gospel with people. You know, first of all, people need to know that you're on their side, that you care. You know, do, you, do your neighbours think that you're a standoffish, smug, proud, religious person? Is that what they think of you? Because if that's what they think of you, why do they care about your Jesus? <laughs> or the, do they think of you as the kindest person they know? <coughs> do they think of you as someone they can turn to when times are hard? Do your work colleagues know that you care about their souls because you've been, you've been showing that you care about them for years? Gospel conversations happen in the context of good relationships. If you refuse to take the bin out, why on earth are they going to listen to what you have to say about Jesus? Simple as that. How to live as an exile. Realise God has put you here. Get on with your life. Make the world around a better place. Jeremiah finishes with some words of encouragement. All right, we're going to finish with these as well. And perhaps they're the most famous words in the book of Jeremiah. Verse 10 to 14. It's saying that the exile isn't going to be forever. That there's going to be an end to it. In 70 years, God says, I will come to you and I will bring you home. Now, let me just... uh, One day it will be over. For I know the plans I have for you, verse 11. The Lord has plans, you see. The Lord has plans to prosper. That that doesn't mean money. That means that's this word shalom again. The Lord has has plans to make you flourish in every dimension. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. To those exiles in the time of Jeremiah, that is good news. That's good news. They must have felt forgotten about. They must have thought, you know, don't forget they're in Babylon in the first place because they sinned so appallingly badly and refused to repent. They must have thought, God has just written us off. God says, no, I've not written you off. At the end of 70 years... Then I'll come to you and you'll pray and I'll listen and you seek me and you'll find me and I'll gather you from the nations and all the places where I've exiled you to, I'm going to bring you back. Now what does that mean to us? Because actually those verses are really specific to that particular people in Babylon two and a half thousand years ago. Okay? And sometimes, you know, I've and probably you've heard it as well. Sometimes I've heard Christians use verse 11 as a direct promise over their lives. You know, my, um, um, yeah, um, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and 
not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And people have used that as, as, as saying, you know, my, my time of hardship will end soon because God has, has got plans to make me wealthy and give me hope in the future. That's how I've heard that used, and maybe you've even used that like, that way yourself. But you see, specifically, right now, you can't know that. You can't know that, can you? It might be, and I hate to say this, but it might be that God is going to make your life a lot harder before he chooses to make it easier. And there's a plan and there's a purpose behind that if he does. But you don't know for sure. You can't just wrench one verse out of its context and say, this is my life verse now, I'm going to live by this. It doesn't work that way. We don't know that God has made that promise to us. But let me, having said that, let, let me give you a much better way of interpreting that passage, all right? Which I hope will give you a lot more hope, actually. So, the whole Bible is the story of exile, actually. Just think right back to the beginning, okay? So the Bible's a big book, all right? The first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, link very strongly to the last two, Revelation 21 and 22. So, um, so think... You're the way around to me, aren't you? Over here. So Ge- um, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you've got Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam and Eve sin, don't they? And, and what happens when they sin? They're exiled. Okay? They're sent out of the garden, aren't they? You remember that there's a, 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 an angel at a cherubim with the, the flaming swords. They can't get back in again. They're exiled out of, out of their homeland, out of Eden. There's no way back. And now they have to live in this harsh, difficult, dangerous environment, which is against them in every way. That's the, the whole history of God's people living in exile. You see it all through the Bible, actually. But you get to the very last two chapters of the Bible. Chapter 21, 22. And, and now you see the exile is over. And you see pictures of a new and better Eden. In, in Eden, it says there was a great river that ran through the, the land. Well, in, in heaven, in Revelation 22, you see um, this great river which is, which is um, full of the water of life. See, it's better than the original river. It's full of the water of life. And in, in Eden, you have the tree of life. In heaven, you have the tree of life, but it, it bears fruit 12 times a year. Every month, it bears fruit. It's like, it's like the original one, only better. And in Eden, you've got one race of people. There's only one. Adam and Eve are just one race, aren't they? In heaven, you have people of every language and tribe and nation. See, it's just better. And in Eden, God walks in the garden in the cool of the day, not all the time. But in heaven, you see, it says God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's just better in every way. In Eden, exile falls upon humanity because of sin. In heaven, sin is dealt with by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people are freed and liberated forever. The exile is over. That's the, that's the full manifestation of, uh, of unity with Christ. That's, that, that's what this whole thing of exile is all about. It's heading towards this ultimate freedom. The end of the exile, that's heaven. So when we read these words in Jeremiah, bear that in mind. I will gather you, 
from all the nations and places where I've banished you. And I will bring you back to a place which I carry you to, into exile. See that? Okay, it had an application for those people right, right then in Babylon. But it had a, has a much better application for us. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What is that? That's heaven, friends. That's when the exile finishes. That's heaven. That's our ultimate hope and our ultimate future. It's not about being rich now. That's such a little thing compared to what God has got planned. It's the certainty of being with the Lord forever. That's what our hope in prosperity is. That's where our shalom is. With the Lord himself. So how, how do we relate to Stoke on Trent today? You ex- accept that the Lord has a plan and a purpose for putting you here today. And that purpose, and, and so don't be afraid, just get on with life. You know, build stuff, have kids, have jobs, have families, whatever. And the purpose of all that is to bring shalom to everywhere where God puts you. To do good here at every level. Hang on in there. There is a glorious future to those who walk with Christ until the end. I, I think that's a great way to start the year, don't you? This is my first Sunday back in the new year. Um, to give you a big vision of what your purpose here on earth is. To bring shalom everywhere you go. Let's pray. Let's pray that we're going to share communion together. Lord, please help us not to be afraid. Even in exile, help us not to be afraid. Lord, we pray for this city where you've placed us. We feel this increasing conflict between the world out there and its values and ours. Lord, help us to do good wherever you've put us. Help us to bring shalom to this city in thousands of different little ways. <laughs> There's a, I don't know, 130, 140 people here today. Lord, may we each be bringing shalom in thousands of ways across this city. May our light shine so that people in this city may continue to find Jesus here. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you also were exiled from heaven in order to bring us to heaven. Lord, we thank you. Amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together, shall we? As we share communion together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.